uh, towards success and failure that's dramatically different in the US than it is in Europe. So in Europe, failure is considered failure. In the US, failure is part of the iteration process and gets you one step closer to success. Irene Yu is your podcast host. She is the founder of Female Entrepreneur and Me, an online community that brings together mighty female entrepreneurs. If you are a content creator, provide a service online, are a coach or consultant, then this podcast is about you. We talk about mindsets, strategies, tactics, and share our stories. Today we have Dom coming to our podcast. Dom's a serial entrepreneur. 25 years ago, he went to the U.S. from France and built several businesses over there. However, he decided to come back to France just right before the COVID. If you want to know his story and why did he come back to Europe? Besides, in this episode, we also dig deeper about diversity and inclusion in the workplace. How do we actually achieve real diversity and inclusion in the workspace? It starts from hiring, but there is more than that. I cannot wait to start this episode. That's welcome, Dom. Hi, Dom. Hi, Irene. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Female Entrepreneur and Me. Could you please introduce yourself to our listener? Sure. My name is Dom Einhorn, E-I-N-H-O-R-N. In uh, German, Einhorns mean, means unicorn. Uh, yes. The name of our incubator in France is uh, Unicorn Incubator, Unicorn with a Q. We basically assist uh, early stage startups with incubation and acceleration services in the southwest of France. Okay. Where exactly in France, maybe? We're roughly two hours east of Bordeaux, which most of you probably know because it's the wine region, and an hour and a half north of Toulouse. So we're in a rural area, uh, but close to those two cities. Cool. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your story and what brought you to do what you do now. Sure. Well, I personally started as a startup entrepreneur myself. I was born and raised in France. I'm half French, half German. I moved to the U.S. in 1993 to launch my own startup. Already at that time in the technology space, in digital marketing in particular. So uh, for most of the early stage of my career, I spent it as a startup entrepreneur with uh, several exits and several failures as well. And in most recent years, the last six to eight years, I've been more, more focused on the angel investing side and in terms of basically providing a framework uh, here in France for startups to succeed. Okay, so now I am wondering, why did you move to the US to start your own startup? because it was a better tie to do that in the U.S.? Yeah. I would say no, no doubt that in the early 1990s, the U.S. was the place to be. For many people, may still be the case today. But uh, obviously, with everything becoming easier, broadband, internet access being readily available around the world, talent being uh, very much available in the many countries, including France. We have great engineering talent in France, uh, as well as in Germany, other parts of Europe. So. The entire EU is open to us as a talent pool. I think today you can be successful pretty much anywhere. I'm pretty sure. So um, now you brought our next question. You mentioned that in France, there have been a new policy since Macron was elected. 
Um, you say you moved back to France a couple of years ago, and that was the main reason you moved back to France. So um, could you mention to us what are actually those transformational policy? Um, listener, a lot of them are also based in Europe, and they are very generally interested in uh, either uh, leaving Europe or coming to Europe. So that would really help us a lot to understand. Okay. Why. Yeah. So... To sum it up, I would say that ever since the election of the of Macron into power, he's been basically launched this concept of the startup nation. So there's a whole theme in France about the startup nation. If you look it up online, you'll see every time you see that term being utilized, it's usually utilized in reference to France. And then there is a very vibrant French tech ecosystem and French tech in and by itself has become a label that is owned by the French government that comes with many incentives to attract foreign investors and foreign talent in the technology space to the country of France by making it very simple to acquire residency by way of investment or to acquire residency by way of becoming an employee within the French tech ecosystem. So for example, if you're a skilled engineer, uh, five, six years ago, it would have been relatively difficult getting a uh, getting a visa in France, and today it's become very simple. Okay, so now I wonder, we talk about that at our, our first initial, um, you mentioned that you would like to talk a little bit, the reason you want to join our podcast is like you want to talk a little bit about like inclusion. So, um, and we talk about like, so what is your idea of really doing that? Because a lot of podcasts or a lot of interviews, a lot of articles I have read, that they are all uh, mainly focused about the... I think, I think our approach is extremely practical. It's not theoretical. We all read dozens of articles a week. We can find them very easily for those of you on LinkedIn. You'll see articles being published about diversity. Sometimes the same outlet, the same news outlet will take three or, three or four different positions, sometimes contradictory about the same domain. We as entrepreneurs, we don't have the luxury of theory. We have to basically put the diversity concept into action and apply it day in, day out. So for example, we at Unicorn, we're roughly about 30 people hailing from 15, 16 different countries with a couple of new countries being added next week. Uh, we employ not by design more women than men, but just because we interviewed proactively and we found for the positions we needed to fill that these women clearly were more qualified than the men but irregardless of race creed gender right we just only looked at their skill set fundamental skill set which for me as a team leader is the only thing i need to look at in terms of making my team succeed and i think where I somewhat disagree with what I'm being, what I'm seeing that, you know, obviously a lot of things going on in this space currently is that both governments, central governments and companies try to dictate, artificially dictate that diversity, mm -hmm. almost like a law, you have to behave a certain way when it should be coming naturally by way of doing business. If you do business, the reason why we have 15, 16, 16 different nationalities represented inside of Unicorn is because we just realized that these people are more skilled at their job than others. And that's the sole reason why they were hired. And I think you and I had a previous discussion about how we could put potentially 
uh, effect put you know put into motion some of these uh, some of these methodologies. And I think one of the good ones would be for people to stop looking or even requesting a picture from mm -hmm. people when they're looking at resumes. Mm -hmm. And don't require the first name to be spelled out because usually that gives you an idea of the gender of the person you're looking at. Ask for a first initial because then you can objectively assess what that CV is worth, right? Clearly at some point in time, you need to meet the person. But what I'm saying is try to remove that, what we call in French, an a priori, that cliche mm -hmm. that we're all born with, right? Remove that from the spectrum entirely by only looking at what really matters. Is that person qualified for that job that you're looking to hire for? Whether that person is white, black, green, green or pink, right? It's a re completely irrelevant. So that's what we're trying to do here. Um, so you had really very, very interesting experience from being born in Europe in between uh, France and Germany border. Uh, and then went to the US like 25 years ago or something. And then you stayed there for so many years. Um, so, and then now you move back to Europe. So I really, really, really want to know what are the big difference among Europe taxing and American taxing? And what do you believe you can contribute back in Europe where you, um, that what have you learned in the US? Well, I think, you know, people have asked me that question many times, especially since I've been coming back to France. And uh, typically, initially, to be brutally honest, when they asked me that question, I used to sum it up in one sentence by telling them it's easier to make your money in the US and it's nicer to spend it in France. That kind of like sums up the overall philosophy. But if I take a little bit of hindsight, I think we're all becoming quickly global citizens, right? Mm -hmm. We're quickly learning that. We mm -hmm. are available to travel more freely than we ever have before, barring COVID, right? Let's assume COVID at some point, hopefully during the course of this year is gonna be over. I think people will travel more than ever before because they're sick and tired of being stuck at home and being confined. Mm -hmm. I think there are some core similarities and some core differences between European mentality versus American mentality. Mm -hmm. Obviously, American mentality is much more risk prone yes. and European mentality in general is much more risk adverse. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Uh, that is very easy to explain if you follow history. If you look at the type of people who left to move to the US primarily from Europe in the 18th century, and in the 19th century, there were adventurers, there were risk takers, there were gold chasers, people looking for better life, including criminals who wanted to evade the criminal justice system in Europe. Yeah. By definition, these are the type of people that like to take more risk, right? Uh, hoping for a better reward, maybe more instant gratification versus the ones that stayed back home in Europe, nice and cozy. I'm afraid to get on the boat, I might get sick, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I think, so there is a core historical explanation for that propensity, higher propensity of risk for most Americans. And that's why there are, in my opinion at least, so many successful American entrepreneurs. That being said, today we don't necessarily have to go to America anymore in order to launch a business. We don't actually, there is no risk in that sense where we have to leave and sometimes it's actually better to stay at home. The new frontier, which used to be America, has become the moon and Mars for people like Elon Musk, right? That has become the new risk. So the goalpost has been moved way further down the line. Mm -hmm. 
where if you ask the same people today, are you ready to go to planet Mars? Most of them will tell you probably no, but those are the same people who would have told you no when you asked them 150 years ago, are you willing to go to the United States of America, right? So that's the core difference that I see. And it's really shaped mentality, the mentalities. Aside from that, obviously America is united by one language, English. Mm -hmm. So if you go from California to Nevada, you cross the border, you speak the same language. Yes. If I drive from France over to see you in Germany, we're speaking a different language. Yes. Unfortunately, I speak that language, but in most cases, that's not the case. So, and then when it comes to actually union, European Union, we've only been united with one single currency in, in Europe for the past 20 years. Right? So we were divided by pretty much everything, different cultures shaped by different languages, different mm -hmm. currencies, different uh, recipes, culinary receipts. We don't eat the same way in France as you do in Germany or versus Italy, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? So in the US, it's much more harmonized in that sense. Mm -hmm. To a certain extent, I would even say it's more boring because there is less cultural diversity there as a result of only speaking one language, as a result of eating the same types of foods. In fact, if you're in a big city like New York or Los Angeles, if you want to have some exotic foods, like London, like all big cities, you can eat any food you want. You can eat Chinese food one day, you can eat Vietnamese mm -hmm. the next, and Peruvian the third, right? So those are the core differences that I see. Mm -hmm. True. So you mentioned about the historical point, and this is really interesting because I'm from Taiwan. And then in our historical book, we always say Taiwanese, we are very like risk taking uh, people, oh, risk taking, because you okay. need to move from China back then to all the way to cross the uh, sea and to be here and you could die in in. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so that's why. And um, but um, that's also true. Like to be honest, like in Taiwan, it's also much more risk taking, and people are also much more open to. Um, in terms of, for example, like hiring, they don't wanna you to always have the same experience experience they want you have a bit more diversified experience. Um, and I think in Europe, like it actually, people are very risk averse, so they prefer you have as single plan as possible, so they know it's less risk. Less. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the ability to take and the willingness to take risks is obviously needs to be hard coded into the DNA of any entrepreneur, and that's also where you think you see a stance. Uh, towards success and failure that's dramatically different in the U.S. than it is in Europe. So in Europe, failure is considered failure. In the U.S., failure is part of the iteration process and gets you one step closer to success. You cannot succeed without failing. What you need to do is you need to fail as quickly and as cheaply as possible to eliminate those failures, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work, to ultimately succeed, right? So the great gentleman who invented the light bulb, Thomas Edison, he was asked, how come he succeeded when everybody else failed in creating the light bulb? And his answer was, I finally ran out of things that did not work because he tried thousands and thousands and thousands of times and every single time he failed until he ultimately succeeded. So he eliminated all those obstacles and it's via the process of failure that he became successful. Yeah. Um, and also you mentioned about the culture thing, like um, 
like in the U.S., that it's all the same, same language, same culture, and in Europe, it's way more uh, fragmented in a way. So um, it's also harder to succeed because you need to take out every uh, market differently, and that takes a lot of energy and effort. And yeah, so for startup, it's I think right now for startup in Europe, tech usually they go their main market where they are from, and then the second money is usually in U.S. Correct. That's usually how that works. So, um, okay, but I'm also a little bit interesting about your accelerator um, in France. So what makes you different? Um, because there are so many accelerators and incubators, right? So yeah. I wonder what you offer different than others. So the core differences that set us apart from everybody else is number one, we make the proactive choice to be in a rural area and not in a big city. And we made that choice way before COVID. So we basically, I spent 25 years of my life in one of the largest cities in the world, Los Angeles. And at one point in time, I said, there has to be a better way than being in traffic for four, five, six hours a day, inhaling smog, okay, and dealing with all of the, I would say, lack of quality life that I find in a small place like Salah, where there's 9,000 people during the winter and 3 million tourists during the year, beautiful place. That, that's the type of move I could have never made 25 years ago because there was no broadband, you know, there wasn't easy access to skilled labor, et cetera, et cetera. That's one core difference then is uh, the difference in, in location between away from the big cities and into a smaller, into a smaller rural area. The second thing that makes us a lot more different is that in Europe, we actually take the stance of an American incubator accelerator, which means that we're, only accepting proof of concept startups at or slightly after proof of concept that we then surround with a network of specialists from lawyers, accountants, financing through the region and through the government and the whole marketing department, graphic design. You basically come, have a turnkey package, you set up shop with us and you focus on what you do best, which is to groom your startup and make it successful and we will help you along the way. Then last but not least, me personally or myself, along with some co-investors, we typically are some of the very first capital in the deal that we incubate and accelerate. What, 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 does, what, what that means is basically, you know, we have a lot more skin in the game than the average incubator accelerator. It just says, okay, you can come and set up shop. You can pay a small fee and you hope for the best. We're much more hands-on, much more involved. We know everybody we work with. Yes, we have a you know, pretty stringent vetting process because we specialize in certain domain. Uh, for example, yes, AR, AR, AR VR, AI, FinTech, uh, predilection, uh, medical technologies, agri-tech, we're starting to dabble into agri-tech, but we're a pure tech player. We don't touch anything outside of the digital space. So now um, you get a chance to be a podcast host. I know you've been to a lot of podcast shows, but um, I have a question that you can ask me instead, I ask you. So what's your question here? I think the question I'd ask you is what drives you? Why are you doing your podcast? Who are you trying to reach and how are you trying to make an impact? Okay, so this is a very interesting question um, because I think this, I started this podcast like one year ago and my goal back then and my goal starting from now slightly uh, shifted. So um, I started this podcast because I want to have more uh, content platform than just a blog. 
So block, it's not, you don't hear this voice and you don't, and I'm doing business coaching. So it's very important to at least listen to voice or see your face. That's, um, you, you know, you're more connected in a way. And also um, podcast is way easier than video in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, after one year, um, I, I mean, I, I quite fast, like I started in Mandarin. So I've reached okay. on top of category, um, very fast in all the Chinese speaking area, like Macau, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and even China, um, iOS. Um, however, um, I realized that, um, if I'm only doing in Chinese or in Mandarin, I, there are so many things I cannot talk about. When you have your own content platform, when you have your own media, you supposed to talk things that matter. And when we had this uh, first interview, I realized that like here in Europe, you talk about inclusion, you talk about um, more about like different races and um, the opportunity you get and all the stuff. Um, those things you don't talk so much in, in right. the Chinese speaking area because that's not, I'm not saying that we are better or whatever. It's just saying that it's not, um, they don't get to explore so many cultures so that it's not top on their priority to talk about. Makes and, sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, and then I realized that I, I, this is things that I, I want to talk about. It's not that I'm saying I'm an expert. I can do anything or everything. But at least if I have media, I need to talk about things that matter. Um, so I think starting from now on for the English part, I would talk about a lot of things that I care. Um, in the meanwhile, of course, I have to also grow my audience, of, of course, to monetize more and still reach and doing business coaching. That's for sure. But in the... On the other hand, I also would like to talk things that matter. It doesn't necessarily bring me directly um, the ideal customer. However, they care about the same topic that I care. That's my new goal, I guess. Great answer. Yeah. At some point, thank I <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for asking. Um, um, but at some point, I might also have to separate two uh, shows that might make more sense because podcasts, you have to choose one language. They don't allow you to choose two languages. So you don't get to reach another language if, yeah, if you don't separate. Right, right. So. Perfect. Okay. So, Don, tell us where can we find you online? For those of you who are on LinkedIn, uh, I'm Dom Einhorn, D-O-M as in Mary, Einhorn, E-I-N-H-O-R-N. Uh, website is unicorningcubator.com. Unicorn is with a Q. I'm on Facebook. For those of you who have access to Facebook, Dom Einhorn, I believe I'm the only one there. Same on LinkedIn. It's a pretty rare name. Uh, and my email is dom at unicorningcubator.com. Again, unicorn with a Q. Cool. Um, yeah. So thank you for coming to our show today. Um, if you have anything left sentence that you want to share with our audience. Uh, I may probably leave you one thought. We're organizing in October, October 1, 2, and 3, the Startup Super Cup, which is a very large technology event uh, mm -hmm. for both investors, technology investors, and for startup entrepreneurs uh, here in Sarla, uh, S-A-R-L-A-T, in the south of France. The whole name is Sarla La Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look it up, you'll find it easily. StartupSuperCup.com. You can pre-register today. We're launching the official website next week. We'd welcome to have you. 
as a guest. Uh, we're still, uh, you know, looking for some speakers as well, mm -hmm. and people participating in roundtables. And uh, everyone, there will be over 100 media outlets. And of course, Irene, you're more than welcome to come and set up uh, your your podcast in the uh, at the ground floor of the event. You'll have a lot of material, a lot of people, uh, a lot of smart people to interview. Um, so it's it's going to be like live event, physical, like, yeah, physical, physical event. event, yeah, yes, in the hopes that in 10 months from now we'll hopefully okay, be able to so, close the chapter okay. right it's 10 months away october 1 2 okay. and 3 it's a weekend friday saturday sunday well i would never say no to any invitation to friends so <laughs> <laughs> your favorite would... bottle of your favorite bottle of red wine will be waiting oh god totally totally <laughs> totally yes i love red wine okay let's just hope that COVID is over in 10 months and then i can go I'll, yeah very much looking Perfect. forward to that. Yeah. Would love okay. to have you. Thank you so Thank much you for having me. Thank you for coming to our show. Yes. And uh, Thank you, Irene. Yeah. Talk to, Talk you, soon. to you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. So now I would like to hear from you. What did you learn from this episode? What can you actually implement what you have learned today into your life or business? Not just thinking, but starting to take action. And also don't forget to go over on iTunes and leave us your review. Take a screenshot and share with at female entrepreneur me. See you next English episode. Bye.